Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, how are we doing this morning? I'm going to ask that one more time all across all the campuses at Hope Fellowship, Frisco East, West, McKinney, Prosper, online. How's everybody doing today? All right, we're going to have some fun today. We're going to continue our series in traditions. First of all, if you don't know me, my name is Terry Kelly. I'm the lead worship and production pastor here at Hope Fellowship. So what that means is that I get to lead, come alongside, support, serve, and help so many people, over 100 people here that serve in our worship team, and our singers, and our worship leaders, and our musicians, and our sound people, our camera, our lights, control room. I'm forgetting somebody. They're going to get me later. But can we just give them an incredible round of applause all across our campuses? They do. You know, when people get on Instagram and they go, I'm really humbled. And then they say something that makes them seem really great. That's not what I want to do here. I'm really humbled to be able to be at this church. I'm really humbled to be able to serve some just incredibly, not just talented people, but some really great people. So you get to uh, come every weekend and, and get to sit under, obviously, a great pastor and Pastor John, but also some great people that are serving you. That's incredible. So that is probably my second favorite team that I like to be on. My first favorite team is my family. And so my wife, Alicia, if you've met her, you're already like, we like her better. We know, I know that. I get it. I totally get it. And then I have, okay, this is where I get the audible gasp across all the campuses. Five kids. Okay. A couple of woos, a couple of, why did you do that with your life? I understand. I understand. Uh, And I don't know why we did it, but I am really glad we did it. So I've got five kids. I'll tell you who their names are. Aiden, Taylor, Kinley, Emerson. There's a fifth one. I'm trying to think what it is. what the name? Okay, well, it's Jude. No, I'm just kidding. We, Jude, and we named him after praise because we're very spiritual in our family, you know. But his name is, is Jude. And one of the great things about Jude is he comes in all the time and he's always really excited to tell us all the great, thing he's, the great things he's done. And uh, he'll say, hey, man, I learned this today at school. Hey, I did this. I learned to kick the ball this way. And he's six years old. So we're always kind of pumping him up like, way to go, Jude. That looks really good. That picture you drew, I don't really know what it is, but it's really pretty. I really like it. And, and, but every once in a while, if you know me, uh, I like to mess with people. And my, my whole team is like, he likes to mess with people. I really enjoy it. It's, it's to say the thing you shouldn't say sometimes. And so my six-year-old, he's so sweet. He comes in one day and he goes, hey, dad, look at this great thing I did. And I said to him, well, what do you want? You want a medal? You want a cookie? You ever say that? Anyway, so he, he looks at me and he goes, what's a medal? And I go, oh, I have to explain this. Okay, well, a medal, M-E-D-A-L, is made out of metal, M-E-T-A-L. So he's already confused. I said, uh, I said you, you wear it and it goes around your neck and it tells everybody so that you've done something really great, really amazing, it's really valuable. And he goes, okay, I'll take the cookie. <laughs> and... <laughs> And, and it just kind of reminded me of what tradition really is. Tradition is not nostalgia. Nostalgia is something that we look back at. Maybe you're a child of the 70s, 80s, 90s, into the 2000s, and you look back, and some of those are your best times, and you think about it, you wish you could go back there, and that's the end of the story. That's nostalgia. We're nostalgic for things like cars. We're nostalgic for things like uh, different people in our lives and stuff like that. 
But tradition helps us to go back and think of something that propels us forward. And that's the power of tradition. So last week, Pastor John eloquently, because he's probably watching, eloquently said, he talked about the Apostles' Creed. And in the Apostles' Creed, which is a statement of faith that all the churches galvanized around, and this is what we believe, it was a story that they lived out of, a true story. The Apostles had the ability to, one, explain our faith, remember this, defend our faith, and also have the ability, if need be, to die for our faith. You don't die for something you don't really understand. You don't die for something you don't value. A tradition is only as good as it's true and as good as it's powerful. And the Apostles' Creed is so powerful. Another tradition that's really powerful that we have around here at Hope Fellowship, if you don't know, is our communion packaging. Now, has anybody ever tried to open these before? Because this is the most complicated device (laughs) on the entire planet. And so many a man and woman have failed... Um, have ended with a, a pretty stainable device, a pretty stainable thing, and the juice on their clothes. So let me just tell you real quick, we're going to take communion. Don't open this right now. We did this last night, and it, you just felt like cans were opening, you know, because uh, it's carbonated. I'm, I'm joking. Uh, so what you want to do is you want to open up the first layer. I know it sounds so easy, but in the heat of the moment, when you're really excited about communion, you'll just rip the whole thing off, and then you have a trapped wafer. And the problem with the trapped wafer is then you're stuck taking air communion. And that's pretty pathetic. So I just want to let you know. <laughs> We're going to try to help you avoid that. Okay, so if you grew up in, in, in a different faith or a, a different approach to faith, you probably had different names for communion. You're probably, what's this communion thing if you're new? And there's a lot of names for it. So one is the Eucharist. Anybody grew up calling it the Eucharist? Yeah, a lot of us here. Um, the Eucharist, it just means, it means to give thanks It's one way to say communion. It's found in the Bible. Lord's table. Anybody there? This is bingo at this point, right? I'm going to, you're going to win something. Lord's supper. And then the breaking of bread was one that you see all through scripture all the time. And then communion, we call that here. And it's sharing. It's kind of joining at a table, the Lord's table. And we are sharing together with each other. Because communion, if you read about communion, communion is, is, is about us doing it together. And even if you're online right now, you're joining us here. You're joining all the church at Hope Fellowship, and doing communion today. So, and here's the thing. There's a power in story. Apostles' Creed, it's a story about Jesus, about what the church believes, and stories are really powerful. Stories are really powerful, especially when they're origin stories. Anybody like Marvel movies? I know there's only like two or three of them. Uh, There'll be more, don't worry. No, there's a million of them. But the best ones typically are around the origin story. Of a superhero. And that origin is what they live out of. It, it, it gives them their identity. And, and traditions are no different than that, is their origin stories typically. And Apostles' Creed is an origin story. Communion is an origin story. And we're going to talk about the power of story is this, is that it, a good story invites you in, invites you in the middle of it, and you live in that story. But a great story invites you to live out of it. It inspires you to be something different, to do something more. It it tells us who God is, our tradition. And it also tells us who we are. So for just a moment, will you bow your heads all across the campuses online and let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We just want to pause. We don't want to hurry through this prayer. I, I, I know we have things to talk about. 
But we just want to say we love you. We thank you. And we want to learn about you today. I pray that in whatever crude method of, of, of the message or whatever we do, that God, you would, your truth would really be heard and seen. And not just to look at, not a story just to admire, but a story to get inside of and to live out of. And help us to do that with the power of communion. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so communion really begins with a different story. So before we talk about communion, we have to talk about Passover because communion comes out of Passover. It's the tradition of Passover, which is a Jewish, it's a holiday, it's a Jewish uh, observance, but it really came from a story that was 1,200 years before communion ever happened. And so it's really an origin story. It's Israel's origin story of how they got out of Egypt. So let's just talk about that for just a minute and, we'll, and then we'll talk about communion itself or Passover itself. And then we'll make a great point about that, hopefully. So in the day of Passover, before Passover happened, Israel had been a small community of families. And at some point they moved into Israel to be safe from a famine. And they lived there and they grew. And over three, four, five hundred years, they became not a small community of family, but two million people, scholars say. And those two million people were really threatening to the Pharaoh and his power structure. And so he got really nervous. And what he did was he made a decree that every Hebrew boy that is born will now be thrown in the Nile, be killed. This is where we meet Moses because he was supposed to be one of those babies but through divine providence was rescued for a purpose that we'll talk about in just a minute. And so things got worse and then they got even worse. And Pharaoh began to put decrees on, on Israel that they would be forced labor, that they would build brick, they would make bricks and they wouldn't even get straw. It just got harder and harder and harder. So they cried out to God and God heard their cries. And he goes to Moses and it says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And so Moses eventually does what he's told, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, this is what the Lord says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says something that rhymes with go. He says, no. <laughs> he says, who is this God that I need to even obey him? So he was under the impression that the gods he was serving at least one of them was the true one, and he wasn't, because there was only one God. It was Jehovah, it was God. And so Moses came back to give God the bad news, and God said to him, I'll make him do it, because I'm the Lord. And not only this, I'm going to keep the promises I've made to my people, that they would grow and flourish. And so we see 10 plagues, and they're awful, 10 plagues of frogs, of boils, uh, livestock, uh, just crazy stuff that happens. And, and every time it was like Mo, uh, Moses would talk to Pharaoh and he'd start to kind of waver like, I think I might let him go. And then he's like, nope. And then we'd put another one. And it, Ten times. That's hard-headed, hard-hearted. Pharaoh was really tough. And finally, the final plague was that every firstborn in Egypt would die. Now the problem with that for God's people is they have firstborn in Egypt too. And there was going to be something that needed to be done. So what they did, we're going to read in the scripture here in Exodus 12, verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter 
the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Okay, two things. Weird, right? <laughs> a little weird. Like, oh, he's so blasphemous. No, I'm just saying it seems a little weird because sometimes we don't understand with our modern eyes what was going on hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. But what happened here is they had a door post in each of the house. And what they did was they took the hyssop and they took the blood and they put it on there. And that was a sign to the angel of death not to touch this house. And what happened because of that was the final, the final plague that finally tripped Pharaoh to say, okay, we're going to let him go. And even after he let him go, he chased him down. Hard hearted, hard headed. And so what this story is doing, what's happening is they want to commemorate it. And so they commemorate it with what is called Passover. It's a tradition that they're going to pass on about how God passed over them when the angel of death came all over Egypt. And it also alludes to the fact that he's going to let them out. He's going to let them leave. That's what Exodus, we read the book of Exodus in your book. We just got through the series. Exodus means leaving. And so he's going to let them leave. And this is their independence. This is the day they leave the shackles of Egypt and they become the nation that God's calling them to be. This is Israel's origin story, Passover. And so what's interesting about Passover, and this will come into play as we talk about communion, is this is where we institute the unleavened bread. And the, the bread was supposed to be unleavened because they didn't have time for the bread to rise because they had to get out of there. It was like they were hitting it and they were going to run. So they didn't have time, unleavened bread. And they kept that as a tradition so they would always look back and say, boy, that was close. And then there's the cup and that represents the blood that they always have at the meal. And then the third thing was the Passover lamb. And the Passover lamb is really fascinating, sometimes a little strange as you read it, but as you really get into the meaning of it with the eyes of people back then, you realize what they're doing is they're saying, this Passover lamb has to be perfect. Don't give us the runt. Don't give us the one that's messed up. Give us your best. And the Passover, will, the Passover lamb will slaughter it when, for the blood. And then when you eat it, you can't break any bones. So you have to be really careful with the Passover lamb. It's a really special thing in this meal. And so here's, the, here's what Moses says about that meal. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. So what is the purpose of this tradition? It's their origin story. Why tell it over and over again? And as we said, just like the Marvel characters, it is the, it's so they can know who they are. And who they are comes right from who their God is, how they were created, and why they were created. That God had set them apart to be a nation, and ultimately this nation was to serve other nations. So, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know what? I have an origin story. Do you have an origin story? Not how you were born, because you weren't really paying attention. Uh, 
but how, how you became who you are today. And I think about my origin story. And here's what it is. I was 15 years old. And I grew up in Houston, Texas, a little area called Clear Lake City. Um, and if you're from Dallas, you don't care. I get it. So. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't, I, it was fun while I was there. Anyway, we, I grew up there, and I was just kind of a normal kid. Uh, played in a couple bands. None of them were very good, probably because I was in them. Um, I was very young and just kind of learning stuff. And I'd always believed in God. I always found my way when I go to relatives, go to church. My family didn't always really go to church. We got, we got put on the bus to go to church. And I thought, my, I thought my parents were really spiritual, and they just wanted a break. I didn't realize that at the time. <laughs> Smart now, years later. Um, but as time went on, I, stopped, I started to kind of doubt, is there really a God? There's all, this, all these religions, there's all this thing, and I really started to doubt hard. And then one day I'm watching a movie. And this is, a little, this is a little strange, but I was watching a movie, and at the end of it, somebody takes their life in the movie. And then the credits roll. This is before you just had something else, you binge watch, you, move, you just had to let the credits roll. And this thought came into my heart, and in my head, and it said this. What are you living for? It was pretty clear. I wouldn't say it's audible, but it was definitive. What are you living for? And what scared me was that I didn't have an answer. And it triggered something in me. And I don't really understand it this day, except that I fell into a pretty dark depression. And that really scared me. Because the thoughts that go through your head, that can go through your head in, in those times, really frightening. And I didn't know what to do. My, my family didn't know what to do. Um, and we, we believe in therapy. We love that. We, love, we think we, people should go to that for sure. I was crying out to God for two days. Trying to go to school, couldn't go to school. Not because I was like faking it. I really was struggling. And then on Tuesday, November the 6th, I finally went to school. Was, I went to school the second day and I just had to go home. Had to go home. And my mom, again, we weren't going to church at the time, so she called a different church, her boss's church. And lo and behold, everybody was gone except the student pastor because they made him stay for lunch. <laughs> We don't do that here at Hope. I hope we don't. Uh, and he, called, he came and he drove like 40 minutes to my house. He sat on my couch. I can still see it today. The, I have the pattern, everything. And he sat on my couch and he told me, he told me about who Jesus was. The one true God. The one who had the power to overcome. And Whatever happened in that moment was, was suddenly a faith moment. And I decided to follow him, to actually say my whole life, here it is. And I can't tell you, and it doesn't happen this way for every single person. It, if it hasn't happened for you this way, that's, does it, it's not about feelings. But for me, it was like dark to light. It was like death to life. When I would go to church, I, I had this feeling they were going to try to put me in the band. And so I would hide from the worship leader. <laughs> in the youth group because I didn't want to be a part of it not because I hated it but because I had just figured out who God was and all I wanted to do was worship him I just wanted to stay in my seat I wanted to be out there I wanted to worship him and then I finally figured out who I was that I had a purpose and this is my origin story this is why I'm standing here today that's why I named the name of those kids all four no there's five all five of those kids 
It changed their lives. It changed the lives of the people that I, that I was in a band with, that I've been in churches with, that I've been able to speak to, to sing to, to talk to, to have meals with. It's changed the trajectory of multiple lives because God changed my life because of my origin story. And it's amazing. And so the same is with, with Israel. The Passover was so they would always remember who God is and who they were. Who God is and what he's done, he's the one real God. That was the unique thing that Pharaoh didn't get. He understood it, I think, at the end, but he couldn't understand it during. And, they, and he's the God who rescued them from Egypt, from their captivity. And who they are and how they even live out of it, their story, is they are God's chosen people. And they're to be the place where people can find God. See, Israel's purpose was not just to go and hide, not just to go and find a land, but to plant a land and a place where God lived. That's where the temple would be and that everybody around the world could find God through them. And there's a lot to that story that we don't have time for. But let me tell you another story. 1,200 years later, around 0 AD, (laughs) the baby was born, give or take a few years, depending on how their calendars work, if they were accurate or not. But around that time, a baby was born, the Old Testament says, born unto us. His name would be Emmanuel, be God with us. And we, 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 the, the theology there is he's the incarnation that's God in him. That he was God. And, and he was born, he, ra- he, was risen for, he, he was raised for 30 years. And then he gathered around in 12 disciples, which is really not coincidental that there were 12 tribes in Israel. The 12 he was doing a new thing. And so he gathered around him these 12 disciples. And he went to different villages, different areas, and he would heal. That's, that gets all the front press. But he was really, that was just part of what he was doing. What he was here for was he was to explain this, this kingdom that God had. That it was different than the way we often live. It turned life upside down, or as we might say, right side up. And he was saying the way you're living, not that it's wrong, but it's not the way to your best. And he forgave the sinners in a community that didn't forgive sinners. He said, this is what God's like. He's not like that. He doesn't cast off sinners. He runs to them. He loves them. He said, if you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. So when we saw Jesus, we started to see what God was really like because the picture got diluted over time because Israel didn't remember their origin story. They would stop being the place where God lived. And so Jesus, God, comes and he shows all this. And so towards the end of his time on earth, he, he's about to teach some final lessons. And he gathers his disciples together and he has them go get a room upstairs somewhere. And here's the scripture, Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Really critical sentence. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? 
He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So here's where our story, our origin story, really takes place. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So we see the like, the characters in play here, obviously Jesus and disciples, but also the elements that we find in Passover. This is a Passover meal. It's not a new thing. But he's going to do a new thing in a minute here. Or he does. The unleavened bread now doesn't represent, let's get out of here because we got to leave. It represents the fact that his body's about to be broken. This is one of his final lessons before he goes to the cross. The cup now, instead of representing the blood over the doorway to remember the past, no, it propels us forward with the forgiveness of our sins, his blood. That's what it represents. But then if you look at the table, you don't see a Passover lamb. It's not in the story. I think that's intentional. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. The Passover lamb is Jesus. And so the 12, they're around Jesus and they're celebrating this Passover. Remember, they're supposed to be remembering. This is very important. They're supposed to be remembering what God did for them as Israelites. That he rescued them. That they had to get out of there because God rescued them from Egypt. And Jesus says, here's what that meal was always going to be about. See, because Passover is Jesus' origin story too. The story is longer than we think. And as we take communion, he's not just transforming the story, saying, now this bread's my blood, and now this, or this bread's my broken body, this cup is my blood. It always was going to be that. All the Passover lambs that were ever slain led to this single Passover. They were always communicating that Jesus was going to be our. That's why I like what Paul says. He doesn't say the Passover lamb. He says our Passover lamb. And so he transformed it. And you know what? If he's not God, that's way out of line. You don't transform a tradition of 1,200 years that God instituted through Moses, who's a pretty big deal. You don't do it unless you're God. Unless you knew that that was supposed to be the whole time. And so he finished his meal. They finished their meal. They walked out. And he gave his life for us. So now this is the point in the service where we're going to ask our ushers if anybody hasn't had the communion, if you don't have the communion elements right now, just raise your hand and say, and our ushers would love to make sure you have that. If you're online right now, love for you to grab whatever elements you're planning on using. I want you to be really careful at this point if you're using those packets. They'll get you. So let me tell you one more story. This is an amazing sound, by the way. I, I've not been up here to hear this. This is, if you're, hope you can hear this at all the other campuses. 
takes a long time, too. Anyway. <laughs> so our last story is this one. Those disciples, after Jesus died, they scattered. But then he rose from the dead. And he said he was going to do that. It still blew their minds. They had to get their minds around it. He stuck with it for a little while. And then he ascended to heaven. As 12 became 120. And those 120, with power, became 3,000. And then we added 3,000. And then out of that, we go 2,000 years. Billions of lives have been affected for eternity. The course of humanity changed. Our lives changed. My origin story comes from this origin story. And so when we celebrate this tradition, we're remembering a lot. We're remembering who Jesus is. We're remembering who we are. Because that church grew for 2,000 years. And 21 years ago, a church was planted in Frisco, McKinney, Frisco again, the West, Prosper, and online. And as we take this cup, as we break this bread, we have this bread, we're joining not just all of each other as we take it together, but we're joining a history of people who have taken communion and a history of people who were involved in Passover that was looking forward to this meal being not just transformed, but fulfilled in Jesus. You bow your heads with me. And before we pray, here's the one thing about Israel that we're just like. In our yearbook series, we found this out that so often, no matter what good thing happened, the Passover situation that led to the meal, the Red Sea, and then the next thing is complaining. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense when you read it really close together in the Bible. But when you live out life, it doesn't go that fast. And so often we lose sight of what's really important. We lose sight of it. They're going to play right now over this moment. I want us just to reflect how great God is because we forget sometimes and as we remember how great God is how great Jesus is he doesn't just spend his greatness on himself instead he passes it on to us with his forgiveness he was the friend of sinners which means God likes sinners which is really good news for everybody because we all sin sometimes and communion exists as a tradition so we can remember and this is why because like israel we forget a lot sometimes we forget big time sometimes we forget just a little for me i can live out of my origin story that's a November 6th date. Every time I'm like, oh man, that was it. I remember that. Changed my life forever. But sometimes I can forget. 
Just because you've had some amazing experience with God doesn't mean you remember forever. Just because God's done something amazing in your life doesn't mean you remember forever. It means you should. But as humans, it's hard because life is a moving target. But it's not for you to feel shame because God loves sinners. He loves me. He loves you. And in this moment, as we hold these elements in our hand, I think about the bread that was broken. Thank you, Jesus. Because I'm not enough to forgive my sins. I thank you for the cup that represents the blood that you spilled at a moment's notice for me. Because from the beginning, when we needed a Savior, Passover communicated to us that one was coming. And he has come, and his name is Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We love you. God, as we reflect in this moment, God, we ask you that you would help us to remember and to stop being so good at forgetting that maybe even outside of this communion moment that we need to build some pause times into our lives to stop, pause the busyness and look up and look in. Because you're the friend of sinners and you take sinners and you make them new. And you take sinners and you create them for good works. I thank you for that, Lord. You are incredible. We love you forever. So here's what we're going to do. If you look up at me one last time. I'm going to read one more scripture because I love the story. It's so great. And then they're going to sing. They're so good. And they're going to help us have a prayer and have a song out of our communion. This could be your origin story today. Maybe you've never named the name of Jesus. This could be your day. But let's read about this origin story. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thanks for listening to Hope's weekend message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.